From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. We don't have enough money. That's what governments say this time of year, as the case is made for the poorest and most disadvantaged among us to get more support in the budget. But is it true? And if it is, are there ways to repair the budget that would leave enough money to do things like raise people out of poverty? Today, economist and CEO of the Grattan Institute, Danielle Wood, on how we can afford to raise the rate and more ways to fix the budget. It's Monday, May 1. So, Danielle, over the past decade or so, people who are on income support have found it harder and harder to survive, especially so more recently as the cost of living has risen. And I know that this is something that you've been looking into as an economist. So I thought that we could begin by talking about who those people are and what they're telling us about their experiences. Yes, yeah, sure. So this this problem or this challenge, I should say, has been a, a long time in the making and, and really we've let people, particularly on JobSeeker payments, fall behind. These payments haven't increased or have increased very little in real terms over the past 20 years and that's meant that they've been falling further and further behind living standards in the broader community. Uh, and what that means practically is that the level of those payments, if you're a single person on JobSeeker, you're living on $50 a day, you are simply not able to afford the basic necessities of life. So I declare open this hearing of the Senate Community Affairs References Committee's inquiry into the extent and nature of poverty in Australia. And I want to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which you're on, the Ngunnawal and Gambri people. There are stories coming out of their consultation of people you know, talking about the very difficult choices they have to make. The pandemic and the associated lockdowns shone a light on what is important for us as a society. It was a time when millions of Australians experienced the pain of having our health, income, freedom, our connection to others, maybe even our hope for a better future, diminished and constrained. People on poverty level payments, long term, sorry, talk to a lot of people, die by suicide at roughly twice the rate of the general population. Do I take my medicine or do I heat my house? Um, can I afford to pay my rent this fortnight? There is a real social aspect to the increased cost of living. Aside from getting to vital appointments, I can't afford additional fuel to visit family or friends, and I can't afford to buy additional food to invite them over, even for a meal or a coffee. I'm embarrassed and increasingly isolated. The lack of social contact is debilitating. This is the person living on JobSeeker. And I think one reason that we've got to this point is that a lot of people think of somebody on these payments as, you know, someone who's trying to avoid work, hanging out, playing computer games, or people think of it as just a payment that people are on for a very short time while they're, they're moving between jobs. Uh, the reality is that people on these payments now skew a lot older. 50% are over 45 years of age. A lot of older women are now on these payments, particularly because of changes that have been made to the age pension and the disability support pension. And people tend to be on them for a lot longer. 
So 80% have been on for one year or more. And the reason is, is they have either specific barriers in terms of location, they might face discrimination in entering the workforce, and often they might have disability or caring responsibilities, which make it so not possible for them to take a job. So the fact that you have people on these extremely low levels of payments for an extended period of time is causing huge amounts of financial hardship. And so how drastic then would the change need to be to bring job seeker payments in line with the cost of living? And, and how urgent do you think it is that something like that is, is done? Look, there's all sorts of numbers that float around. Um, the Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee came up with the figure that if we wanted to restore it to 90% of the age pension, which is where it was at 20 years ago, you would need to increase it by $132 a week. That is obviously a very sizable increase. There are other benchmarks you could use that might give you a slightly lower number, but the bottom line is you're going to need a pretty big increase to, to get you something that covers the basic necessities. Look, I think there is urgency here. We know that people across the board are struggling with cost of living at the moment. These people were already vulnerable uh, and the problem is, is getting more challenging. And the job seeker payment, it's been practically frozen for a long time now. And the previous government didn't want to raise it. Labor has been in power for close to a year now, but it also doesn't seem ready to make changes to the rate, does it? Look, I think you're right. They haven't shown much appetite and they've sort of signalled that they won't be going with the recommendations of their own committee. Mr. Ramsey, could you live on the job seeker rate of $46 a day? I think why so. has Labor dumped its policy to review the job seeker rate? Well, we, we haven't dumped anything. Uh, what we've said is uh, we don't have a plan uh, to increase uh, the uh, job seeker allowance in, in our first budget. I think it's partly misunderstanding or there's the broad demonisation of people on these, these payments. The political will isn't necessarily there. You know, there are 37 recommendations uh, in the Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee report and we will progress a number of them, uh, but we've made it clear that we won't be able to progress all of them immediately. That said, there was some recent polling that suggested over 40% do support an increase, which is one of the highest levels that's been at, so the public is getting behind this. The other reason, uh, of course, is it's costly. And the, the kind of increase that was recommended by the committee uh, would cost the budget about $6 billion a year. Uh, this will be a responsible and methodical budget. There will be a premium on what's sustainable and what's affordable. The budget pressures warrant that and the global circumstances demand that. That's difficult in, in a world where the government has some structural budget challenges, it's got expenditure rising in other areas... And I think that's probably what is leading it to push back on this change. What it seems like they may do is a policy that would help a smaller group, but a, but a group very much that needs it, which is single parents. We're certainly hearing um, some whispers that that might be on the table. It seems government's taking that proposal seriously. Uh, the other recommendation was to increase the rate of rent assistance. That has fallen well behind uh, growth in market rents. And so that would be another way to try and deliver just some targeted relief to those that need it most. Mm. And so as the Labor government approaches this budget, which is their first May budget since coming into office, 
How do they seem to be thinking about it? What are you reading into the things that the Treasurer Jim Chalmers is saying right now in the lead up? Well, the way that we would typically think about this is this is kind of the budget where they do the hard things. Uh, So the October budget was largely about delivering on election promises. The first budget is where you do the big stuff and, and the more controversial stuff and get it out of the way, get it bedded down to give yourself plenty of room before the next election. The signals that we are getting in the lead-up to this one is that it's probably going to be a little bit safer than we might expect. So the dismissal of the need to to do the increase in in job seeker payment, I think, is one example of that. We will see some changes on tax, but they're pretty minimal and, and targeted towards those least likely to generate sympathy. So there's new earnings tax on very high super balances, balances above three million in retirement. There's rumoured to be a change in the petroleum resource rent tax to get some additional revenue from gas producers. But beyond that, the government's not going to to go much further. So uh, I think it's kind of a continuation of of the steady-as-she-goes conservative approach we've seen from this government to date. We'll be back in a moment. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If, yeah, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Danielle, you've been saying that when it comes to budget repair, all signs are pointing to there being no dramatic changes announced by the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers. It is clear, though, that structural repair is necessary. So can you talk to me a bit about the situation, the budget situation that we're in at the moment as you see it? Sure. So there will be some good news, actually, in the short term in this budget, and that comes about because tax revenues are going to be higher than than was forecast even in last October because commodity prices have been high and because the labour market has been strong. A higher share of Australians have a job than ever before. Youth unemployment's the lowest in many decades. Underemployment is down and unemployment is the lowest in almost 50 years. So many Australians are benefiting from the stronger labour market. But we need to differentiate between uh, what will be short-term good news versus the medium-term position. Uh, And the medium-term challenge is really that spending is growing quickly in a a range of areas. Um, We've made policy decisions that bake in higher spending through programs like the NDIS. The NDIS forecasting its own annual cost to rise from $34 billion this financial year to close to $90 billion by early next decade. The second fastest growing cost to the budget behind interest repayments on government debt over the next decade. In defence, we've seen a number of major announcements 
in recent months. We expect our defence spending in the budget to grow very strongly. Uh, the numbers will be presented in the May budget uh, if we can, uh, but already we're spending 2% of GDP. Already that's rising substantially. It's one of the fastest growing areas of spending in the budget. Health spending tends to grow faster than the broader economy anyway, and that's exacerbated by an ageing population, aged care spending. As the sector's budget sees a blowout of almost $5 billion, aged care costs are now the government's fifth largest spending measure, with the pay hike alone projected to cost $8 billion over the next four years. All of those things is, is pushing government spending up as a share of the economy. We haven't yet really had a discussion about how we pay for that and revenues increase slowly, but there's a sizable gap between the two. So that's the structural budget challenge. We have sort of pretended it's not there for a long time. We do need to start taking steps towards repairing that. It's important so that we have enough room to respond next time around there's an economic shock. And it's also really important that we're not pushing costs onto the next generation. Do you think there is a case then for a more radical overhaul of, of how the government raises revenue and, and how it directs its spending? And, and what could that look like? Yeah, look, I would like to see something a bit bolder, to be honest. Uh, and Grattan's done a report that we've called Back in Black, question mark, that sets out a, a range of different things government could do on tax and spending that would make a difference. So this is about repairing the budget. It's also about creating room to do things that are very high priorities, like increasing job seeker. On the, the tax side, there's a number of proposals. We've talked about petroleum resource rent, redesigning the stage three tax cuts. Those are the income tax cuts that are due to come into effect July next year. We propose keeping some of them, but leaving in the 37 cent tax bracket, which would just reduce the size of tax cuts going to the, the high income earners, significantly reduces the, the cost of the package, returns about $8 billion to the budget and would be a much fairer and more fiscally responsible way to go about that. Uh, we look at things like tax concessions, sort of leakages to the income tax base, which are growing bigger, things like super tax concessions, things like negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount, things like the taxation of family and discretionary trusts. Uh, we think there's probably another 20 billion or so just through tightening those concessions and, and making them more targeted to their policy purpose. Uh, and then we look at a whole range of other things, fuel tax credits, raising the GST, super preservation age. You know, there, there are a whole range of things, frankly, that the government could look at that would raise revenue. On the spending side, we have wasted a lot of money on bad infrastructure and defence procurement decisions over the last decade. Stripping some of the politics out of those and making it more on the economic fundamentals would make a big difference. The special deal with WA on the GST at the moment is costing the budget about $5 billion a year in compensating the other states for that. And bigger things as well, like looking at including the family home in the age pension asset test above a high threshold could also raise money. And, you know, those are big, hard changes. No one's denying that. But those are the types of things that we need to be thinking about if we are going to address this structural problem. Mm. And this Labor government under Anthony Albanese, it has had a lot of success 
in terms of polling well by by presenting not as a big target. It appears that the preference is to, to gradually and, and incrementally bring people along with them when they want to make change. But when you look at the budget, is there a risk that any change that is being made is too slow? And, and what does a future look like if we do take years to solve some of these challenges? Yeah, I think you build up the political capital to spend it on things that matter. You can be overly cautious with these things. The risk is if you don't move on any of these budget issues, so if we were to kind of keep locking in more, more spending without the revenue base, the structural problem gets bigger, debt continues to climb as a share of the economy even as economic growth picks up. We see interest payments growing as a share of the economy. We're asking the next generation the bill for today's spending. Given that, we've left the next generation a pretty unworkable housing market. The costs of climate change are being pushed to them. They already have the fiscal challenge of an ageing population. I think that's pretty hard to justify. And so, you know, making hard decisions now is about not kicking that can down the road. Mm. Danielle, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Ruby. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, over the weekend, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese committed $240 million to help build a new football stadium in Hobart to be the home of a new Tasmanian AFL team. Tasmania remains the poorest state in the Commonwealth, with illiteracy rates at 50% and only 45.5% of students completing Year 12. And the British Royal Navy has been left embarrassed after sensitive documents describing the workings of one of its newest nuclear submarines were left in the toilet of a pub. The Furness Railway pub in Cumbria, where the plans were found, is a short distance from shipyards where Australians will undergo nuclear submarine training as part of the AUKUS deal. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.